Welcome to SpotCast, your single point of contact podcast for the service management and support industries. Brought to you by HDI, where service management and support professionals belong. I'm your host for SpotCast, Roy Atkinson. Today's guest is Patty Blackstaff, CEO of Strategic Sense, which focuses on helping clients build transformation agility through people strategy. A specialist in change and transformation, she focuses on complex technology implementations. She's an industry advisor for the Business Technology Management and Analytics Program within the Haskane School of Business at the University of Calgary. Your area of concentration, Patty, is people strategy. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Well, people strategy is about uh, reaching out regarding the project and the technology and how it impacts users. So we focus on a couple of areas, which are uh, touch points and impact events. We touch people throughout um, the project as we're building out the technology, and uh, then we throw something at them and we impact them. Our goal is to really prepare, support, and equip people to be able to handle the change with the new technology and um, be able to drive some adoption and utilization and increase that so that you get some ROI out of the technology that you're implementing. So let's say we have a project that is going to update a particular application, say our ERP or our our ITSM systems, whatever it happens to be. What you're organization would do is kind of look at the people part of that and try to make that a match with the technology implementation. Is that about right? Right. So we help the organization shape their vision. Um, one of the one of the key points is if we don't understand uh, current state and future state and the gap in between, we typically are very, very good at figuring out what technology we have and what we need the new technology to do. We're not always as good at figuring out what we need the people to do in order to make that technology work for us. Um, so we we work both at the leadership side as well as uh, the end user side, and then we work tightly with the technical team because there's three levels of change that are going on. The business is trying to change using a new technology such as a new ERP system or a new ITSM system or, say, a new cloud service. And uh, so the leadership needs to understand how that's going to benefit the business, and we help them shape the vision so that the rest of the teams can understand how they're hoping that technology will enhance and and change the business. Then we work uh, really tightly with technology teams. We sometimes we come in through an integrator. Sometimes we come right to the end client. Um, either way, we're happy to work uh, doing the work that we do. But we really, truly focus on how do we get people to change their behavior so that the new tool is doing what the business is hoping it will achieve. That's one of the key things that I think a lot of folks in service management anyway worry about is how are people's behaviors going to change? You can put a new tool in front of them, but if they keep doing things exactly the same way they were doing them, then the value of the tool is less. And I think that's part of what you're talking about when you address the ROI component, right? 
Right. I, I mean, let's take a look at tools now and tools then. Tools then, you know, many organizations are still managing on a, oh, we have a ticketing system, not even focused on incidents and requests. But they are, they are managing an old ticketing system, and now they're changing to a tool that has the opportunity to help leadership make better decisions through analytics and AI. We have uh, tools now that provide DIY portals so that we can automate a lot of the lower-end tasks that our IT teams have had to do. So when we take a look at, at what the new tool is capable of, that, that amazing utilization, we don't realize it when we're all excited about the new technology, but the way people behave is we're only going to use the new technology the way we understand how to use the old one. And our goal as a consulting company is get organizations lined up in a way so that their people strategy helps the individuals to use the new technology in a way that's actually going to serve the business, uh, help with a shift left, um, uh, you know, taking the lower end tasks and moving them to the front desk so that your SMEs, your subject matter experts, have a better opportunity to work on what they do best and to automate processes as much as possible. But all of that doesn't happen just by putting a technology in. I have a friend, his name is Mike Vicanti, and he's often saying things like, Buying a new technology and hoping for a change is is not going to work. If you're ignoring the people strategy, that's called procurement. <laughs> right. And that brings me to say that in some recent research, uh, we found, HDI found, that 76% of the organizations that responded to our survey and that have adopted or are planning to adopt enterprise service management principles did not include a formal program of organizational change. Wow. Why, why is people change management such a blind spot for organizations? Um, and how can the need for cultural change be brought to the forefront as a necessary component of initiatives and projects? Well, that's an easy answer but uh, and, and a tough answer all at the same time. So the easy answer is when it's uh, a piece of engineering, a piece of technology, when it's software, it's mathematically based, it makes sense, it's understandable, it's easy to roll out because however complex the technology is, it has a linear type means or way of being addressed. People, on the other hand, are complex, they're messy, they come into the environment with an entire different set of uh, dynamics as they interact together. There is emotion involved, there is enormous amount of uh, experiential background coming into it, and then you add the politics of an organization, the culture of an organization, so that gets pretty messy. You can't wrap a budget as easily around that as you can around a linear understanding of technology. <laughs> so, so that's the easy answer. That's why it's difficult. It doesn't have to be. So here's the, here's the little bit more complex answer is that when people are prepared, when they are given the resources they need, when they understand what's coming, when they feel like they're, um, their entire world is not going to be sidelined and they aren't turned into performance nightmares because of a new technology, but instead are enabled and an em empowered group of people that can move toward a purpose, then you've got something. 
Now, there's lots of different methodologies out there. There are, at my last count, about 136 different change management methodologies out there. It's well studied. It's a piece of organizational development that is uh, well known and well understood. We know how people react to things. We've got lots of studies that say that. Implementing that within an organization requires a bit of a cultural foundation of focus on the people. Our best clients that we work with understand that there is a methodology we can go through for addressing people change when, in fact, they care about the impact to the people. We've worked with other organizations where um, they, they just want to push the tool through, but they have to say they did a little organizational change management, <laughs> and it's rarely successful. So the appearance of change management, organizational change management, is not organizational change management. No. Um, and, and, and I think that in a lot of instances, organizational change is seeing being kind of a bolt on. Have you seen that approach a lot? I suspect that you have. And, and what's, what happens when people try to do that? We often get called in at the last minute. They, oh no, we didn't realize that this was going to be such a big impact until we started, you know, get it, getting this far along in the project. Um, there is a mindset uh, at the sponsorship level that's required to uh, make a make a project successful, and it's a blend. It's a really strong blend of the understanding of the uh, requirement for the technology and the requirement for people to be prepared when. People tack us on at the end. It's often because they're suddenly made aware of the impact to them. For instance, a leader will suddenly be aware that it's going to make them look bad if people are unhappy. Or they begin getting um, responses from different business units. Then they say, oh, oh, gee, we should make this nice for the people. <laughs> and they will tack on a little bit. What you get is a minimal opportunity to really address impact. You are focused then on a resistance management plan. And when you're focused on a resistance management plan, it means you haven't done the work to prepare your people. It means that your people were ill-prepared and you are suddenly now thrust into this uh, uh, unhappy little world of, of the team storming the castle. <laughs> This isn't a good place to be for any organization. And what's really sad about it is oftentimes we have been working with stellar technical teams that are doing a bang up job on the technology. That IT group has done such an amazing job on the roll up and the implementation, but the people side was left scant. And so it makes the entire IT department look bad. It makes the project look bad when in fact they've probably done a really amazing job getting it to to implementation phase when should organizations begin thinking about a strategy for cultural and organizational change there's a couple of different uh, trains of thought on that uh, of course we would love to be able to come in and help them define the tool that's best for them for instance one tool might be great for very, very large enterprises that are 20,000 people plus you've got a large IT team you've got and another might 
be better off for, you know, up to 500 to 20,000 people and uh, less backend required on the IT side. Those would be two different tools. Unfortunately, from the vendor side, of course, they're, they're, they can do either or, and they're happy to sell it to you. So I think an understanding of your environment and your current state is something that we can come in and do as you're doing those vendor reviews. That's a piece that, that is often missed. That being said, once you've picked your tool, there is no bad time to bring us in. It's just, it's ideal if you can start as you're beginning your resourcing. When you start setting up a budget for the implementation, and depending on how you do that, we of course uh, prefer the agile approach so that you have an opportunity to base your budget around the, the resources that you will need throughout all the sprints. Um, a waterfall project is is a little tightly um, secured in terms of budget because it's a longer budget timeline. So I think bringing us in when you have an opportunity to start setting up the resources so we can partner with the project manager, partner with the uh, technical team, and you're not too far down the road for us to be able to do a proper discovery on what needs are. That means we get to contribute uh, some really cool stuff to requirements gathering. We do a lot of human-centered design and design thinking in our uh, workshopping for requirements. And when you're talking about ESM projects, when you're looking out at the entire company, and I don't say the business, I really, really believe that we have to stop putting the wall up between IT and the business because with the digital era that we are in, and I'm not going to say we're going toward because we are in it, with that digital era, we are the business. The, your business is now a digital business. And so our goal is to try and bring all of the stakeholders from the various business areas to help the project define need. And we've, we've streamlined what that looks like in terms of being able to get some resourcing. So for instance, we could workshop for a week and be able to do what a typical requirements gathering group would take three and a half months to do. IT has been blamed for the high and sometimes astronomically high percentage of project failures. Do you think that it's technical failure or failure to have a people strategy in place? Well, first, let's get back to that question because I'd like to address the topic of failure. Failure is subjective. If I am a CIO and I have come in and I have said, uh, oh, you know what, I need to implement this tool and I'm supposed to implement it by that date and that's my mandate and the tool gets implemented, who thinks that's a failure, not the CIO? However, it was implemented. However, if the KPI is we are going to implement a tool and here's the KPI now, we'd like you to change the business this way using that tool, then we have a completely different idea of failure. So failure is subjective. It depends on who you ask. If you ask the people who have been imposed upon to take that new tool and change their work day, I would say failure rates average between 60 to 70% in failure. When you look at senior executive level and what their mandate and KPIs are, 
failure is indicated around 6%, (laughs) depending on what that was. So where organizational change management and organizational development come in is actually doing that business value alignment. We want to add value. When we put money to budget, we should be saying, what is the value we're adding to the business? And how do we get the people to assist us in adding that value? Once you've done that, you can have some better metrics around what is failure and what isn't failure. Oftentimes, expectation of what a tool can do fails the business, usually because people strategy wasn't applied. Let's take an example uh, when it comes to who we're impacting. Let's say we have a finance department or we have someone in HR and we're impacting them with a specific technology. We see it as an IT initiative. They don't. How that technology touches them, they see as a performance issue. So we can take people who found amazing workarounds. They're heroes in our business. They've been incredible in terms of what they've been able to accomplish in their careers using the new tool and the workarounds that they've defined. And we ask them to continue doing that job and to continue being that same performer. We don't prepare them for a new tool. And then we turn them into a neophyte. We literally take our superheroes and we diminish their capacity for performance for our industry when we don't prepare them. You did talk a little bit about um, how you work with organizations that are using the agile approach to get through projects. Can you tell us what that means to you and your work specifically and how you plan that and the differences between maybe agile and waterfall a little bit more than you have already? Sure. Uh, when when we're working with a client, we uh, we sit down and we take a look at uh, what outcomes they're trying to achieve with technology. We have to, of course, reverse engineer that. One of the things that we can do when we talk about preparing people, it isn't just preparing them to be able to use a tool, but it's preparing them for knowing and understanding what's coming, what's coming in the business. So that's the vision, but also getting them to help us define define the how. So working with individuals one-on-one in requirements gathering gives us a piecemeal approach to scope, a piecemeal approach to design for the tool and how it's going to be customized for that organization. And sometimes out of the box works as a custom design for the, for the organization. So don't let's not get confused about, about the word customized. Customized, we're talking about the culture, we're talking about uh, how, how people manage their workflows, how they interact as interfunctional teams within the business. And so getting them into the same room makes a huge difference. When we have someone from the technical team sit in the same room where they can actually hear people discuss the themes of where they want to go with how they do their jobs in a new tool, When HR and finance hear each other, when procurement and IT hear each other, there are a lot of aha moments that go on. So we do high engagement, lots of workshopping, and lots of development opportunities with the technical team and stakeholders from other functional teams within those workshops so that we know we've done the right needs analysis for the requirements gathering we're doing. That helps 
with buy-in. It's almost as though you begin erasing the need for a resistance management plan because you've actually asked people to be a part of the process. Rather than doing unto people, we are actually inviting and welcoming them in to tell us what kind of opportunities are working. Not, again, going back to what I said before about the appearance of organizational change, actually really including people in the process of going through stuff. We know, we all know that silos exist in our organizations, whether it's within IT or out in the bigger organization. Is the elimination of silos important and why? Yes. Silos are an important function of our, of our business because they actually identify and define operational tasks. They exist. But they don't have to exist in a complete, isolated manner. So the functions also have to collaborate and work with each other in order to make something happen. So let's just take a a process, for example, uh, an asset process. If you were to purchase hardware, you need to work with a procurement team. You need to have an opportunity to work with a uh, infrastructure team. You have to also be able to take that piece of hardware and the, the entire reason you've got it is because HR is doing an onboarding of an individual who needs that hardware. So if you take a look at all the processes and whether they're automated or otherwise, you absolutely have cross-functional requirements. When we are not building these processes together, when we fail to recognize the importance of the voice as they interconnect, that socio-technical interconnection between the functional teams as we begin to automate these processes, and we just think in IT that we can do it for them and on their behalf and impose this upon them, we literally create a second wall around the silo. What we want to do is have an opportunity to do a handshake between cross-functional teams as we work through these processes. So this is where organizational change management and people strategy comes in. I, I hesitate to use the words change management because it is such an IT function within ITSM. So we often focus on calling it people people strategy because really that is what it is. It's the strategy around how people are going to work together to implement, use, adopt, and make a tool work for the business. If you were to sit down today to start a major project with an organization, uh, what would you suggest to a project manager to demonstrate the need for people strategy uh, for those funding the project? Because obviously there has to be funding for all the different components of the project, for the hardware, the software, the people, everything else. So how would you recommend that they approach it? Well, there are there are a couple of levels. Let's uh, I'm going to take it down to some basics. Uh, what is the complexity of the project? What is the scope of the project? How many people are you impacting? Um, what uh, what kind of technical change is this? How is it changing how I am impacted my everyday as an end user? And then we ask them if we can come in 
first for a discovery period. So we do some high level outcomes discovery where we really take a look at um, awareness, readiness, support, sustainment, loyalty. From there, we develop a project budget plan that includes initial engagement, uh, some needs assessment surveys, uh, document approaches, and how the organization's culture is going to be shifted based on those pieces. Then we, uh, then we work through, you know, what kind of deliverables they're hoping to achieve with the tool. And then we align that with how people are going to need to be able to change. Oftentimes, we just recommend, bring us in for the, some discovery and we'll bring you some insights you were not aware of. And then we build a budget from there. So if you were to uh, sit down with me, make the argument to those 76 76- percent of organizations that didn't include an organizational people component uh, within their movement toward enterprise service management, what would you say? I'm asked that a lot. I actually, I actually will, will say that a lot of people believe that if their teams are working hard and they care about the project, that the people will be taken care of, and that is really the case. What I can say is that we can move the needle from uh, a resistance management model to an adoption model where we increase engagement and have an opportunity to have one of the projects we worked on, we actually had a 96% adoption rate, which is practically unheard of. We did that through the opportunity of uniting people. When, when an organization is frustrated because they don't understand how that works, we also talk to them about after-budget costs. So, yes, your project's going to cost this, but if we don't do the people component, your after-project costs, both in support, um, after-warranty, uh, performance, business operational performance, effectiveness and efficiency, competency, all of that, you're going to see that drop in a lower level than it will if you have people strategy. Your business, every single person in your business costs you money if they're not working. If we roll this out without people strategy, the operation, the whole reason you are in business in the first place will drop. We can guarantee it. That's really a big message that I think a lot of people need to hear when they think that uh, having the people strategy is a nice to have rather than a requirement. So while IT teams are trying desperately and their scrum masters are really good at trying to make this happen, our actual corporate function from the CFO side is not recognizing the requirement for adaptive financing for projects within IT. We're not addressing it. And that adaptive financing must map with an an agile approach to how we implement tools. If we're implementing an ITSM program, we can do that in phases. But our budgets need to allow for a couple of adaptive opportunities. One of them is having an experimentation threshold so that we can really understand whether the engagement we're getting with people is mapping to the design we're trying to do. So that's one topic that is rarely talked about that actually aligns with the people strategy and the technology strategy being merged. 
So if you, if I asked you to define briefly adaptive financing, could you do that for me? Yeah, I think adaptive financing. What I'm, what we're talking about is looking at the agile as a as a uh, an enabler for the business. And when you look at minimum viable uh, product, saying saying we're going to put in an ITSM system that does X, Y, and Z, and we're going to do it in the next eighteen months is a is one budget. That's a single solitary budget. But instead, we are going to impact our business and add value in these ways. And we're going to separate that by this way. We're going to add this ITSM component to fix what's not working and to get down to the very basics and foundation of what ITSM can do for the organization. Then with the next budget, we're going to take a look at what that means for the rest of the um, nice-to-haves that we'd like to attach on to the ITSM. Within each of those individual budgets, if we have a threshold for experimentation where we say, listen, you can have X number of dollars to experiment and make this work for our culture and work for the way that we do business in a manner that adds value to the competency, such as the commodity we sell, the product we sell, how it attaches to the end users, and I mean customers when I say that. So that adaptive experimentation and, and the right and the willingness to accept experimentation regardless of failure or not, is adaptive financing. And we need to start adding that to how we implement projects because they've got to add value to our customer. They have to change our business in a way to stop being disrupted from outside markets. Without adaptive financing, we won't get there. That's an excellent explanation. Thank you very much for putting that together so well. It is absolutely always a pleasure to talk with you, Patty, and I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to connect, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you soon. The pleasure is all mine. I absolutely appreciate you letting me tell my story today and talk a little bit about how um, people really matter in the workforce. We need to bring that humanity back uh, to to the work that we do and care about the cultures and emotions and support that we get from the people within. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's SpockCast with Patty Blackstaff. I'm your host, Roy Atkinson. We'll see you here again soon. And remember that excerpts of this conversation will be posted on thinkhdi.com under Support World. Thanks for listening.